This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. (laughs) Vibration is everything, literally. And your vibration, the energy and frequency you project into the world, determines your experiences, your results, and the opportunities you create and attract in your life. When you are connected to your authentic voice, you naturally feel good and attract more wonderful things into your life. When you are disconnected, you feel bad, and it can quickly become a downward spiral. The great news is, there are so many ways you can connect yourself to a higher vibration. Through prayer dance, movement, yoga, meditation, eating healthy food, exercise, gratitude exercises. There's lots you can do. However, one of the quickest and most overlooked ways is through sound, and more specifically, through chanting. Valeria Telles interviews Nikki Slade, the author of The Healing Power of Chanting, an inspirational journey of freeing the inner voice. Nikki Slade is a leading pioneer in the field of chanting, core voice, and sound work in the UK. Nikki has inspired thousands of individuals to chant and has led chanting workshops in a wide variety of settings, including corporations such as MNC Saatchi, Deutsche Bank, and Cisco. She has been a resident Kirtan leader at Tri Yoga London for 20 years and has also taken her cutting-edge approach to working with the voice into Wandsworth Men's Prison. She was the resident voice and sound facilitator at the Priory Hospital in North London for 20 years, where she impacted the recovery of hundreds of addicts. And for the past five years, she has been facilitating chanting workshops at the Halfway Recovery House, Start to Stop. Nikki has released four successful mantra and chanting recordings, including Nectarine, Monsoon, Soundscape, and her latest double album, Epiphany. She is also author of the popular book, The Healing Power of Chanting. In recent years, she has pioneered kirtan in the mainstream areas of Glastonbury Festival and Latitude. She has traveled the world with her work to places including California, Singapore, NYC, Europe, and Melbourne, Australia. She led a chant for over 2,000 people at the 11-11-11 Mind Body Spirit Show and at the 12-12-12 Oneness Ceremony in London. Nikki is the founder of the first in the UK 200-hour Learn to Lead Kirtan Foundation training, accredited by the Yoga Alliance Professionals in 2016. Meet Nikki at NikkiSlade.com. Here's the interview with Nikki Slade.
in your own words, who is Nikki Slade? Oh, my goodness, Valeria, that is a, a multifaceted question, isn't it? Well, Nikki Slade is the name that I was born with. And the journey is really to find out who I am, who we are beyond the name, because in the, in the end, the name falls away. What we think we are falls away. So I like to think that I'm on a journey through the form of Nikki Slade to the formless. That's on the highest level. But mm. then here on earth, um, you know, my, my purpose is to be the space of uniting people, souls into the highest vibration, into harmony, and to bring the very best self-expression out of everyone I come into contact with. I'm passionate about human beings being fully in their power, fully in their voice, in their soul's note. So speaking from that sacred chord within, that's my purpose. And the name is the vehicle really within which that happens. I didn't know I was going to say all of that. But I, okay. <laughs> I love your answer. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, the natural nature, yeah, speaking. Something you said earlier about formalizing form. Can we be both at the same time and that be it? No destination, nowhere else to go? Yes. Be? I mean, you know, going through, through, I mean, it sounds a little bit abstract, but moving through the form to the formless, you know, being fully in the world, but not of it. So knowing that we come from consciousness, which has no specific form, and at the same time, fully embracing the form that we're in, because that is the instrument through which that formless consciousness can express itself. So, so yes, being definitely fully in our part, in our role, in this play of consciousness that we're in. Um, let me ask you this other question, open question. What do you think life is? Not the meaning of life, but what is this that we call life? And is there a purpose and an ultimate purpose? Yes, uh, I, I, I believe there is. And um, I was very blessed to have a very profound experience, which you may address later in the interview, yeah. um, where, you know, I'd been seeking through much of my youth and I had a very profound awakening moment where I actually heard what the purpose of life is all about. And the voice said, Dearest Nikki, all there is, all there ever was, and all there ever shall be is love. There is literally nothing else going on. Mm. And it's, it's a simple message, which as human mm. beings, we complicate. And right. everything in life is designed to be an expression of that love, whatever our mm. vocation is, you know, our relationships, our creativity, all of it is an opportunity to express that love that we already are. Um, mm. 
that's that's what it's all about. It resonates true from my perspective too. Going deeper into these understandings or realizations about what this is, yeah, that always comes up. And now I have been writing and talking about love attached to another word, unconditional. So unconditional love. So whatever is happening here, if we put the judgment aside, that's good or bad, it's still love. That's a challenging one to understand with the mind, isn't it, Nikki? That even the bad things, uh, quote unquote, are also love. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're in a in an experience of yeah. duality. I mean, right. one of the profoundest yeah. teachings is that all events are neutral. Mm, now, right. if you're if you're on one level of consciousness which we all go in and out of, yeah. then how can you say that? What do you mean? There are these terrible events. You know, really when we're established in that higher love, that expansion of consciousness, then we're just witnessing the drama going on, knowing that in truth our highest reality can never be harmed. And I had an experience of that in in the late 80s. Um, So I'm speaking from experience. I'm not established in that, but it, it it was an absolute blessing because it gave me hope that there was something beautiful beyond the suffering, beyond the pain. Mm. Yeah. Right. To me, um, it has been for many years a challenge to to see everything as not good or bad, but just natural, just life Mm. happening, unconditional love. Yeah. And um, yeah, that's something that um, the more I talk about, the more I listen to other people, the more it makes sense to I don't know who. <laughs> Maybe life itself, it makes sense to it. It resonates. I like saying that way better, which has to do with sound, something that you do really well, chanting. So talk to me for a moment about the, the soul of the voice, as you title, and what is the difference between all the other types of music and chanting the way you do? I believe that all music originates, if you go deep, deep, deep down to the source, from primordial sound. And when you get into the power of mantra, you really are in the originating Mm. vibration. And it's rather like the example of gold. Gold can become a bracelet. It can become a ring. It it can become a necklace or a brooch. But when it melts down, it it is the gold itself. And so with chanting, um, and I was so blessed that it came into my life when I was relatively young, in my my mid-20s, it took me to a place within that no song, and, you know, I was, I mean, if I had a title, I was a singer, you know, but I wasn't reaching that kind of soul's depth with everyday songs. I came close to it with some of them, but when I started chanting, what opened up inside was home. I just there were no more questions. I was at home and 
everything was tingling and I was resonating in unity consciousness. There was literally an experience of no separation, not 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 that just conceptual thing of we can all say, yeah, yeah, we're, we're all together, we're not separate. But to actually experience that was extraordinary. And it was interesting because my desire to sing songs, I mean, I, I used to be in the theater, I used to sing in soul bands, I used to sing in cabarets and all of that kind of just fell away because I was at the source of all the songs, of all the sound. And um, I just wanted to chant mantras all day long. And uh, I've, been <laughs> <Can> lucky, <imagine. laughs> I've been lucky enough to, to be able to do that for the last 30 odd years, you know. This might be a good time to talk about the spiritual awakening experience you had. Does it relate to the chanting experience? Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, in, in the late 80s, I was definitely in what you might call a dark night of the soul. I think yeah. many of us are familiar with this phrase. Yeah. And often the dark night of the soul can happen at the end of 30-year cycles, sort of late 20s to 30. Um, you know, there's another one around about my age now, coming up to 60, where, you know, we things start falling away the way we've defined ourselves how it's been up until that point so at that stage I was seeking and I was seeking fulfillment in all the things that it didn't exist you know I explored the field of drugs and alcohol and all of these things that you know they played their part but it wasn't what I was looking for and then I was fortunate enough to be introduced to the practice of chanting and I and I bought myself a cassette tape in those days and um, I used to go home in my lunch hours from working in this cafe and I would uh, play it and, and chant along with it and I noticed as I did this every day that the vibration started to get higher and higher and I was like my gosh I feel happier than I felt in years and then suddenly the veils started to dissolve in other words that sense of there is another over there I was like oh my god we are really all one there like everything was moving together as one and I had zero fear in that mm. period it was it was a, it was a whole month it lasted for and i absolutely could approach anyone i remember going to i was in battersea park and i was just tingling with the experience of the practice and i was seeing people in the park and i was smiling at them like they were my mm -hmm. very own yeah. self Yeah. And people were just mm. like staring at me because they could feel the energy coming off me. Right. They could feel the fearlessness. And mm. it was as if the entire universe was on my side. Well, of course it was, because in that moment, I was the entire universe, as we all are. But it was extraordinary to have that experience. And the love, I mean, the love was almost unbearable. It was just kind of bursting out. And that feeling that anything is possible. And yeah, I actually remember being in that state and somebody invited me to a, a kind of a club in the, in the deep southeast of London. 
And I remember going into that club and I could see that so many of the people there, I could see the sadness in the soul and I got the message that, oh my God, everybody's looking for this. Right. It was it was so weird. It was just like I was watching a movie. Yeah. And I had been in that state myself only three months previous, if you see what I mean. Yeah. But suddenly I was in this heightened state. And uh, it was just really revealing to be connected to that expansion uh, around people who were who were seekers, but they were in that phase of seeking everything through narcotics or whatever else right. they were doing, you know. How is it different now, Nikki, for you, if you compare the experiences you had with this moment? Yeah. Is that so, different? So, you know, listen, we wouldn't be able to do life in that kind of euphoria, you know. <laughs> every, it's not... <laughs> It's not practical, right, but right. what what it gave me and has given me is like a rod and staff to do my daily life because the storms come because that's the nature of being human. And as I say, I think the practice is practicing relating to every single event as the same. Of course, mm. when we're in our human identification, it's not the same and it's very painful. And I go through the pain as much as any of us do. But when these storms come, I remember the message that was given to me that only love is real. And so I practice where is the love lane? I call it the love lane. <laughs> yeah, where, where is the love lane through all of these storms that are going on, whether they're happening societally, globally, and at a personal level? And the practice of chanting will always uplift my state. And I have the great privilege of creating spaces where others can experience the practice and also you know my main work is the core voice work that I do with people and so I I love my vocation I love my purpose yeah. I love my purpose and so you know I get to do that every day and then the bits in between that's mm. where the real sadhana is because that's when you're dealing with the the overthinking that can come in, you know, with, uh, you know, contrasting emotions. And so in those moments, it's like a workout to focus on the highest, to focus on what's really real. But being very grounded, you know, I mean, yeah. this is not about bypassing right. or being, you know, that phrase woo-woo or something. Yeah. It's yeah. just going, okay, even if I'm not feeling the love right now, you know what what would love do mm. how can how can i what would love do now it's a lovely song that would be wouldn't it what would <laughs> yeah, love do yeah. now you know and yeah. um how mm. how can i access that love in this moment okay what's available to me the the mantra the kirtan practice the meditation going for a, a walk contemplating journaling mm. you know i mean that's it isn't it and then one day it's, it's it's funny saying we will be enlightened. We're already mm, enlightened. Right. It's just seeing this, yeah. isn't it? You yeah. know, it's just experiencing it. The interesting things that I 
have been uh, reflecting upon it is that even if we don't feel the love as we have understood or labeled it to be, it's still love, isn't it? Everything is love, even if it doesn't feel like or doesn't look like it. Yeah, because the universe is an intelligent universe and it is tr it is trying to move us towards recognizing who we are. I mean, I love the idea yeah. that, you know, I have to speak for myself, that I've chosen all the experiences that I'm having right. to mm. remember the true state. So mm. if I find myself in an experience of excruciating rejection, for example, yeah. it's like, oh, what an interesting storm to put right. myself through. <laughs> I like that. Wow, that's a really, that's a really powerful one. This is, this mm. is bringing me to my knees, this one. And then, you know, I sit with it and I may cry and release and my heart opens. And then I'm like, wow, I, I can love that, that cloud of rejection back to the expansion. So, yeah, it's not about bypassing any of it. It's about embracing it all. And, and as yeah. you say, yeah. if every painful experience is in the end taking us home, even if one doesn't believe that, it's, it's, it's a helpful thought because mm -hmm. there's hope then, isn't there? I do see this experience as a, as a miracle in a way, because being here in that, like, how can this be? It's, uh, it amazes me. Just being here, this moment, being here talking to you, to me, it's a miracle. I know, we're, we're sort of consciousness, but we're sort of, I mean, to put it crudely, we're two lumps of flesh with eyes and ears. <laughs> and yeah, oh, it's kind of strange. <laughs> you know, it does, doesn't yeah. it? But, but, but in a way, yeah. you know, um, yeah, hmm. yeah, it's a, it is a miracle. That in itself is a miracle. My yoga teacher said that once, he's a great yeah. master, and I just thought, my God, put it that way, yeah, I'm a, I'm a lump of flesh walking around. <laughs> yes, when you look at it ourselves, right, like, what is this? Wow. Yeah. I mean, you have to wonder, like, what's going on here? This is amazing. <laughs> yeah, and then almost instantly you kind of remember that, um, hmm, yeah, this is life <laughs> happening. I have no idea what this is, but I'm here and oh, well, something's here, something's happening and how interesting. So I do have one more warm-up question for you, Nikki, before we talk about your book, is uh, freedom. What would that look like? Do you have any idea of what liberation is or would look like? Well, I used to think that freedom was a function of what I was doing. Um, <laughs> but actually, I realize that it doesn't actually matter what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. It's it's where my vibration is whilst I'm doing what I'm doing. Mm, so, yeah. so freedom is a vibrational state. It's, it's when you hit that chord of oneness, it doesn't matter whether you're, you know, washing a cup or stroking the cat or at your computer, everything is complete that's freedom for me. Right. So you wrote the book, The Healing Power of Chanting, an inspirational journey of freeing the inner voice. Talk to me about the main inspiration and intention of writing your book, Nikki. 
you know, Valeria, it was one of those things where I never thought of writing a book, but the universe told me to. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, And that came in the form of um, three dear friends at the time. It was like three bells. And yeah. they said, you've got to write a book. This is really, really important. You know, tell your story, share what you do. And I could feel the the Shakti or the energy when they, and it was too serendipitous, you know, like three yeah. buses coming in a row. Yeah. yeah. So I paid attention and um, I began writing a synopsis and, you know, I got some support around how to do a synopsis. And then I found an excellent mentor, um, a lady in Australia called Emily Gower. And I started to write what was, it was like, it was like an experience of the the book writing itself through me. Yeah. I mean, it came yeah. very easily. It really did. Right. And very joyfully in a way. Yeah. And I was guided that it should be autobiographical, but at the same time as it being autobiographical, that the reader's journey into chanting would begin. So it's not like the people reading the book are having a passive experience right. that yeah. they can... So particularly somebody who's never chanted before can download the links and yeah. start the chanting and enjoy the chapter yeah. as they go along to have mm. their own hopefully enriching experience. And I've the reason... One of the things I was guided is to be very candid and truthful and honest in the book. You know, um, I mean, my early life, the dark night of the soul, soul um, like for most, for many of us, maybe most of us, many of us, um, was not easy, you know. So I, oh, yeah. I, I share about those moments, um, the struggles with addiction, um, the despair, the looking for an identity in all the places that it wasn't. I mean, even taking up a career, for goodness sake, as yeah. an actor, pretending to be other people. Yeah. And I yeah. did that because I wanted it to be accessible for people who were really seeking and people who were crying out in their dark night of the soul. You know, I mean, I've had people writing saying, oh my God, this book has helped me so much. I've had people in tears saying, you've no idea how much this has helped me. And... Uh, and I do believe that that wouldn't have been the case to quite the same extent if I hadn't been as honest, you know. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the middle section of the book, um, through this uh, awakening I had, uh, where actually I had something that's in India known as Shaktipat, which is the des descent of grace. You mentioned the word grace, no. you know. So yeah. grace came and started to clean out all the mm. cobwebs in my in my system so of course you know i was having profound purification um profound prophecy i was i mean the people around me literally thought i was going mad right. you know but the thing is i had complete recall through the whole thing right. uh, so everything was really lucid for me and although because in those days, nobody knew about spiritual emergency, which is yeah. ostensibly what was happening to me. Yeah. So I was um, put into a hospital for a whole month of my life. But yeah. to be quite honest, Valeria, yeah. the experience in there 
was like being in a monastery for me. It mm, was man. a space of sanctuary. It was the place. It was the space where I had some of the most profound connecting moments with the beloved, if you like, the divine right. presence right. that I'd ever had in my life. Mm. I mean, there were difficult moments in there as well, um, but I I got through it and I was guided by that inner wisdom voice all the way through to come out the other side of it. And, and I knew that that whole experience had been a total blessing because it was like my inner self saying, that chapter of your life is done. You will never be the same in a good way. You know, you are now in a rebirth and um, we're, we're with you. We're championing you, you know. And then when I got out, my life started to get on, you know, in the worldly sense, so much better. You know, I stopped alcohol and I mean, I haven't touched anything like that for 32 years. Mm. And um, I continued with the acting for a bit and I was, you know, I got more and more work and I got successful work. And then suddenly I just knew that that path was done and I just couldn't do it anymore. I just wanted to devote my life to mantra and creating spaces where people could connect to their natural voice. Um, but again, that was all revealed work and I started to be given opportunities to do voice work in addiction treatment centers, in prisons, with businesses, uh, with obviously hundreds of individuals. Um, and, you know, and then I had the opportunity to be a resident Kirtan leader at Tri Yoga, which is one of the leading yoga centers in London. Um, I've been there for many years. Um, and I to be honest, I've never really had to push uh, my work because it's mm. not my work. Right. You know, yeah. it's yeah. it's you know I'm an instrument mm. for it, and um, I've honestly, I mean, like in 2019, I chanted at Glastonbury Festival, which you know I didn't apply to Glastonbury Festival. Just somebody came to my kirtan at Trioga and suddenly I got an email saying, would you like to chant at Glastonbury? Mm. Same thing happened. Mm. Somebody came to my chant from Latitude Festival. Hey, would you like to chant at Latitude Festival? I mean, it's like when, mm. when we're just following our soul's path, it's true, isn't it? The, um, the, the invitations just come, um, you know, it's like you're airlifted out of one situation and put into the one that's next. And whenever I try and promote, if you know mm, what I mean, that yeah, big yeah. in the in that big sense, it's never really worked. Um, guided guided promotion, yeah. I mean, like for example, you just appeared in my inbox one day, and I thought, mm. oh, like the sound of this lady, you yeah. know. Oh yeah, you know. But I wasn't out there saying, right. oh my God, I've got to find a, yeah. a platform for this, you know. Um, the same, I, I've sort of always attracted kind of major newspapers and magazines and quite early on when all of this stuff could have been perceived as very woo-woo. I mean, I'm talking about right. late 90s and things like this. Yeah. Just, just because I was following the yellow brick road, really. Um, and sometimes that can be you know, a little bit hairy because 
you literally can't see where the next bread and butter is coming from. But it always, it always does, Mm, you know, and uh, so long as one is aware of, you know, sharing, sharing the bread with all, you Mm. know, um, it seems to come slowly but surely. I wonder if, from your perspective, Nick, does, does, does it always take suffering, dark moments for us to wake up or become aware and realize what is beyond the ego, so we call it, or this reality, the relative reality? Does it always take suffering? No, I don't think so. I think I'm very aware that there's such an acceleration in consciousness now and there's a much higher pace of vibration and the the younger souls that are coming in now they're they're not going through anything like what my generation went through um you know they're like here they're awake and they're happening and Mm -hmm. they're here to create and Mm -hmm. that's the exciting bit you know when you you're actually resonating in that space where there's nothing going on but like what would i love to create next you know what beautiful thing can i contribute to the planet I think the journey my soul took on was to go into the underworlds of addiction and the soul's cry because there are many souls on the planet who are in that journey. And if there's nobody going there in front to kind of create the the path or be used as a vehicle rather to to create the path, then what happens to all those people? So I do think... You know, we all have our own soul's assignment, you know, probably based on our past experiences and, you know, things we we never transcended in our, if you believe in previous incarnations, you know, perhaps perhaps we come back, you know, to, to master more of the different clouds that come, shall we say, yeah. you know. But, um, but yeah, no, I think um, I, I, I came in, in a journey to serve and the people I'm probably best at serving are are people who haven't had it easy perhaps you know I I, I find it very rewarding chanting um, and doing core voice work with recovering addicts it's um, it's a tremendous honor actually I love your work. It's truly, truly beautiful. That intention that you have, the vision of helping others, the sound, the chantings um, themselves, it just, um, it touched the, the body. It seems like fundamental truth, the essence that we cannot be explained with, we can't put into words, but it's um, something is being communicated there is a, something much deeper than the obvious that's been communicated. Although I do see life in a very simple way, that the obvious is actually the sacred. Everything here is sacred. And it's very, very obvious <laughs> that this is a miracle. But we miss it. Most of us do. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I like, I mean, when you said sacred, I often talk about the sacred cord within, like when we when we touch the sacred cord within it's like that's it that is that is the ultimate so i i like to think we're moving from the scared chord to the sacred mm. chord oh, i love that and yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah the discordant chord to the harmonious free freedom within you know right not that the uh, scared and the imbalanced dysfunctional chords are not they're still whole they're still uh, the yeah. divine in a different form that's right Precisely. Yeah, but yeah. it's just the experience. It changed the experience, of course. You're yeah, listening to 
let's say, your music, your chants, and then listening to heavy metal. <laughs> it's completely yeah. different. So it's, yes. it depends on what the experience is looking for. Yes. Well, you know, um, Hazrat and Ayat Khan, an amazing Sufi saint, he, you know, he talks about us all being instruments of a great orchestra. And he says, mm. if we don't stay true to our soul's note, the universe is a little less well off. So he talks about the different sections of the orchestra and all are valid. But if you're a piccolo and you find yourself in a trombone section, you might feel a bit overwhelmed. Right. <laughs> uh, there's nothing wrong with the trombones. Yeah, right. No, it's just get into the piccolo section, you know. Talk to me for a moment about the Learn to Lead Curtain, I think you pronounce it, Foundation Training. Yeah, thank you. Um, yes, thank you for that. So again, that was another moment where the universe came to me. I didn't make this up. Very dear colleague and friend, uh, Katie Appleton of Apple Yoga, um, she approached me in 2000, uh, end of 2014-15 and said, Nikki, there needs to be a learn-to-lead kirtan chanting foundation training in the UK. There isn't one. It's got your name all over it. I'll help you with a structure because she'd led many yoga teacher trainings. Um, but she said, I, I really want to get, you know, empowered and learn. So I said, okay. And I knew that the universe had come to collect me through Katie. And so we put it together. Um, you know, I just, you know, just trusted my intuition and inspiration And we got it accredited by the Yoga Alliance professionals. And the first one ran in 2016. And sorry, yes, 2016. Yeah, I've now run four trainings. Um, obviously, last year we couldn't do it. And this year, because of COVID, it's all been a bit difficult. But it's been massively well received. And we have about 2022 souls. It's um, because it's such an intricate journey. It's very, very deep. And we, we move as one, like everyone has to move together as a family on this training. And oh, it's just profound. The heart opening, the tears, the laughter, the resonance, the beautiful things. I love bringing the best expression out of all the leaders, you know, that they, and then they run with it. And God, I mean, I'm so proud of so many of them, you know, well, all of them in their way of, of what they've, what they're doing out there. You know, it's like, you know, I, I could kind of hang up my boots today, actually, you know, because they're, they're carrying on the tradition in the world. And it's just a wonderful thing to have been a seed for, for all of those guys. And every year, actually, I bring them together and we have an event called All Love, um, which is an aid of the homeless charity crisis. So we, we like that because chanting takes us home on the inside and this is for homeless people on the outside. And, um, you know, we we have about 38 Kirtan leaders. Everyone comes together. We've done it live and we've done it online. And um, it's a wonderful community and it's uh, just a really uplifting event. And we, we've raised quite a lot of money over the years for crisis as well. So, yeah, it's a great cause all the way around. Very rewarding. Your book includes four key chants and you have 
a new chant at the beginning of each part of your book where readers can also download for free the chants um, on your website. So part one and two, you share your challenges in life. Uh, you tell the story, your story. Parts three and four, you share the spiritual awakening, which you have talked to here briefly. So if you want to know more about the story and how everything happened, read, just buy your book. That'll be the best way you read it. Part four, for some reason, I opened the book on this page where you explain the divine feminine chant. You explain the meaning of each word or phrase, each word, really. That kind of, uh, for some reason that I can't explain, just um, resonated to me. And then it was the body and then the mind became much quieter. So talk to me for a moment about part four. Part four, which are you chant? Are you re- are you referring to Kali Durge Namo Nama, the yeah, chant? The chant. That, yeah. Yes. Okay. Whether it's part four, but I think that's the chant you're referring to. Um, Kali Durge Namo Nama is one of my absolute fi- favorites because it's about fearlessness. Mm, right. It's about tapping into the warrior goddesses within us, and. Um, if the idea of goddesses doesn't resonate for you as an individual, the idea of the fearless heart surely does. Yeah. And really, the exterior forms of goddesses are just there to give us a visualization of what the immensity of our fearless divine heart mm-hmm. might look like, you know. Um, but Kali represents that fearless aspect that can take us through the void, through the unknown, you know, particularly the areas of life where we feel um, out of control, like we can't control outcomes, you know, and it and it feels pretty scary. And she, you know, will, if we let her take us through, and she's also known as the goddess of, goddess of time, she takes us through the finite to the infinite. So she lives out of time. So of course that's very scary in a way to us because because there is no death with right. with Carly, not right. of the real self. Maybe of things we're gripping onto, it feels like we're gonna die, yeah. you know, but actually it's about dropping in and letting go. So powerful. Mm-hmm. And then Durga is like the the really the mother protector, but she's the kind of mother like a tiger that will go in and, and fight for her cubs. And uh she sets us free when we start getting caught up in that labyrinth of um, of illusions of thinking that we're not good enough, thinking that you know, we're failing or, you know, doubting ourselves worrying, she just goes no, 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 just yeah. cuts through all of that namo namah, salutations mm-hmm. salutations, so yeah, it's a very, very powerful chant for sure And um, yeah, thank you for explaining that Nikki, I read it and I was like, wow this is amazing <laughs> is that a religious, it's connected to re- religious beliefs or it's spirituality itself yeah, I'm, re- I'm really glad you asked that question because it comes up so much and in the early days, you know, some people are like, oh my God, no, no, I can't chant this because my religion won't allow this. You know, what, what you know, it, this must be religious. Absolutely not. You know, we are in the yoga of sound. And in the yoga of sound, ultimately, it's about the vibration. And so with chanting 
the name. Kirtan means to sing the name, to, to sing the name of the divine principle of your understanding. So, for example, just like in the example I gave you with Kali Durge Namo Nama. Now, you know, for some people, that will be um, part of the Hindu religious belief, you know, that the, there are these goddesses and there are specific days to worship them. And, you know, for thousands of people, that will really resonate that way. And for many, that doesn't resonate. But the fearless heart and going to that aspect, you know, where your higher self may be nature itself or your higher self may be um, Christ. And so you can chant with your own understanding because in the end, all the names fall away and we come into the actual state. It's the state, you know, that we're appealing to. Um, and I say to people, because I have huge respect for whatever religion, whatever belief anybody has, I say, please bring that. So I've had, honestly, I've had Muslims, uh, Jewish people, devout Christians, all of them in my chant. And I say, if you have a, a challenge with a particular word, you know, please bring your word to the chant or at least your own understanding. So, you know, if if somebody wants to to sing um, Allah, Allah, or Hashem, Hashem, or Christe, Christe. I don't mind, you know, because the important thing is that everyone feels welcome. We're, we're in a time where there's so much division and separation exteriorly that, for goodness sake, let's have one space, at least in the realm of yoga, where everyone can come under one roof. I'll, I'll give you one anecdote. Years ago, I was asked to chant in a Jewish center for women in Africa. And there was a, uh, a rabbi there. There was an Anglican priest. There was a uh, Muslim, uh, gosh, I can't remember, Iman, is it? Well, I can't remember the name of the priest. They had a Brahmin priest. Um, they had a Buddhist priest. They were all there. And, you know, I, I led a chant at the beginning about bliss and freedom. And the uh, Muslim priests at the end came up and he said, that was such an incredible experience. He said, I would love you to come to the temple one day and share this. And I I just felt that like one barrier came down that that night, you know. It's not about us you know, deserting our faith or religion. It's about coming into the religion of love in the heart, whichever path we take. Oh, I love that. What a beautiful message. Uh, well, clearly said to beautifully clearly said, religion of love. That's the only religion that's real. Yes. The only one. And again, unconditional love, which means, yeah, no separation, right, at all. So we're almost at the end, and I have one more question for you, Nikki, as an ending question. Before that, would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book? That's put me in a space of being in the moment. Um, I, don't have, I don't have my book with me, but actually, um, yes, I do want to read something from Hazrat's book, The Music of Life, because it's so beautiful. 
he talks about where when we go beyond the things we do to coming into that ultimate state in the heart. And I hope you have time to play this on air. But he said, and this this is really my this guides me through my life. This passage, he said. I gave up my music because I had received from it all I had to receive. To serve God, one must sacrifice the dearest thing, and I sacrificed my music, the dearest thing to me. I composed songs, I sang and played the vena. Practicing this music, I arrived at a stage where I touched the music of the spheres. Then every soul became for me a musical note, and all life became music. Inspired by it, I spoke to people, and those who were attracted by my words listened to them instead of listening to my songs. Mm. Now if I do anything, it is to tune souls instead of instruments, to harmonize people instead of notes. If there's anything in my philosophy, it is the law of harmony, that one must put oneself, one must put oneself in harmony with oneself and with others. I have found in every word a certain musical value, a melody in every thought, harmony in every feeling. And I have tried to interpret the same thing with clear and simple words to those who used to listen to my music. I played the vena until my heart turned into the same instrument. Then I offered this instrument to the divine musician, the only musician existing. Since then, I have become his flute. And when he chooses, he plays his music. People give me credit for this music, which in reality is not due to me, but to the musician who plays on his own instrument, Hazrat Inayat Khan. So my last question to you is, what are three things about life you know for sure as of this moment? Only love is real. We have everything in everything we need inside us, and that anything is possible. Yes, yes, and yes. Thank you so much, Nikki, again for your presence, the wisdom that you let flow through you so gracefully. What do you do? That's not you, but it, it is at the same time. <laughs> Thank you so much for everything that could be felt today and before meeting you today on the podcast. Oh, bless you, Valeria, and for everything you do. And um, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Before we say goodbye, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Yes, please visit uh, Nikki Slade, N-I-K-K-I-S-L-A-D-E, NikkiSlade.com, and uh, you will find everything you need. You can also find me at Nikki Slade UK on uh, Instagram, and uh, I'm also on Facebook, uh, Nikki Slade again. So yeah, free the inner voice on Facebook. So I hope to to see you there or on YouTube as well. I also have my own YouTube channel. Thank you so much again, and we'll talk soon. Thank you. Bye for now. Bye bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Nikki Slade and her work, please visit NikkiSlade.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now. <laughs>